people ask me what I do, I say I'm a producer and a writer, which is sort of a short form of the variety of things that I do. I'm kind of a unicorn in the sense that I have both freelance work and staff producing work. So I work as a associate producer at a company and they produce shows for all kinds of platforms and all kinds of companies, Netflix, Nat Geo, HBO, uh, whatever sort of comes across the company's plate. And I work on the back end uh, in post-production doing something called clearance, deliverables, um, research on some shows. I make sure things are spelled correctly on screen. I have this sort of catch-all job that's technically an associate producer, but that description can apply to so many different things. In addition to that, I also work as a writer. So I'm a playwright. I'm like a published playwright. And I work as a screenwriter. So <laughs> I also um, have written like six or seven scripts for hire over the past five years for different companies. I always knew I wanted to be a writer. I started writing books when I was eight years old. And actually, my uh, third grade teacher would bind them into these little cardboard books we could take home. And I and there was an about the author section in the back, where I would write when I'm eight years old, I'm making gambling when I grow up. I'm going to be a writer. And, you know, the books would be called like Volcano at School or uh, the Valley Girl was another one. I didn't really take it as seriously in retrospect as I wish I had, because it seemed like very unattainable. It wasn't really until I was in college and I started studying with people that worked in the industry um, that I was like looking people in the face that were professional writers, professional directors, and being told that it was indeed possible. So I did a lot of writing in like high school, but I also did a bunch of other things. And then in college, I bounced around majors, poli sci and all these other things that I was kind of interested in that seemed realistic, but then ultimately landed in the screen and playwriting program at UNC. It was actually its first year and they had some really established directors and writers that were in the program running it that had actually moved from LA. Um, and so I was really like looking people in the face that were telling me that my work was good. I got out to LA, I was working as an assistant and doing all this stuff. And I was working as a writer's assistant in late night. And it kind of wasn't, I, I didn't want to write late night, I was sort of bouncing around and ended up at this production company. And I ended up falling into this AP job that I was describing, which was kind of like this weird job that not a lot of people knew how to do that was very consistent and supported me very well. But like, I've pretty much had consistent employment for like years and years. And then on top of that, I have to carve out time for whatever writing demands I have. And of course, eventually, I would like to just be a writer. But I also oftentimes wonder, do I ever want to fully depend on the writing world? Like, at what point do you decide this is the only way you're going to make money, you're going to rely on this for 100% of your income. It took a little bit too long to really believe that I could do it professionally. But but now I am. And I'm in a constant sort of battle between like, okay, this makes up X percentage of my income. But I also have this other job that I both rely on and resent. <laughs> so, you know, when will that gap be bridged? When I first moved to LA, of course, I had my sister and brother-in-law that lived there. And that was, I, I mean, 
that was it for me. I don't know how people move to LA and don't know anyone. And of course, you know, now we have a lot of focus on nepotism and legacy and like, I mean, I was very lucky that I had people in the business, literally. And so my brother-in-law brought me on as a PA on a job and then, you know, was kind of like, oh, I'm finishing up with Megan uh, this week if anybody kind of wants her. And somebody was like, oh, we're staffing up for this. And so I started working as a PA. It was like an award show, I think. And so then I got into the award show circuit. So the first year that I was in LA, I worked on the Oscars and the Grammys and the Academy of Country Music Awards. I went to Las Vegas and worked on that. I tried to work in the script department. So I did a lot with like passing out script revisions, running around on set, had a walkie talkie, all that kind of stuff, dealing with weird personalities. I was kind of like in this kind of late night scene and I loved all the people that I worked with for the most part, but it was freelance. So every time a job ended, I had to find another one <laughs> and it was stressful and it was long hours. And, and while all this was going on, I was writing plays. So I had a, uh, a play go up in New York in 2006 and then I ended up selling the screen rights to it. And so I had a movie made based on the play. So I was always kind of like working both the like day job angle and the artistic both at the same time. I I've had so many moments of like, this didn't work out or this didn't work out. But there were a number of things that of course did work out. You know, you get on one project, you meet a bunch of people, you kind of tell them what you're interested in. Somebody might pluck you out of obscurity and offer you a semi stupid job, but it's a job and then you take it, but you're always kind of working on your stuff on the side. And then you hope that they'll kind of merge at some point. I ended up kind of moving up the ranks of my AP job. And then after that, I started picking up freelance screenwriting jobs. And again, it wasn't like totally enough for me to quit my producing job. And then those things kind of tapered off, but I've still been working for this one producer since 2017. And we have a great working relationship. Whatever I need to do for her is always kind of in the back of my mind. And I basically do a lot of writing in the morning or on the weekends. And then I'm here at my workstation for my day job. <laughs> so I feel like I am kind of working all the time, but it depends on what the project is, the degree to which it feels like work. I'm also writing a novel, <laughs> um, but that is my own personal project adapting one of my plays. Even though I have kind of a plan for how I want to get it published, I don't have anybody waiting on the back end like to pay me or to give me notes at the moment. Getting my play made into a film was definitely a mixed <laughs> bag. <laughs> so I had a play and this, I was very young, like early 20s, running, went in LA and then New York and I developed it in college and it was about my roommates and it was very close to my heart. And one of the actresses, she introduced me to this producer who was interested in optioning it and you know, I was like all a flutter because here was somebody that wanted to make my movie. Uh, I met with him and I, I didn't have an agent. I didn't really know what I was doing. And I had a contract. He basically wanted to option it, shop it around, see if he could get money to produce it and then shoot it as like a low budget film. So that would basically mean like he's going to develop it into a script and see if someone will give him, I don't know, $100,000, $200,000 to make it. It was going to be very low budget in one location. 
but he was going to do it. And that's like half the battle, right? Is finding someone who wants to actually do the legwork of hiring a crew and finding the money and making it happen. First, I got a referral for a lawyer and I handed her the contract and she goes, (laughs) I can't advise you on this contract because I wrote this contract. This person is my client. And I was like, it was another one of those weird serendipitous Hollywood things where it's like, of all the lawyers in all the world, I get referred to the very lawyer that represents the person that I want to make sure isn't trying to screw me over. (laughs) So I had somebody else look at it. And basically what it was, was like, this. he got to adapt the script himself. And then I could like, give notes on it and maybe do a pass at it. But ultimately, it was going to be his. And that was kind of a red flag, but was also, it's also kind of the way it works, right? You sell a script or a piece of source material and somebody else works on it unless you have the clout or the stamina to insist that it be you. And I, and I was kind of like, okay, sure. Let's see, like, how bad can it be? Like, he's got this great play. Well, it was bad. I mean, he adapted it. And I remember when the script was finished, I was like, okay, this is, this is decent, like whatever. And I wanted to be on set. Obviously, I want to come to the shoots. And he said, okay, you can come to the shoot, but you can't tell anyone that you wrote the source material. You have to tell people you're a PA. And I was like, what? And so I got to set and I'm like sitting there. So of course, somebody asked me like what I'm doing. And I couldn't really say I'm a PA because like the person that supervises the PAs is like standing right, you know, I'm like not working for that person. They don't know who I am. So I said, you know, I wrote the play this is based on. And then, of course, everyone was curious about it. After a couple days on set, I was asked to not come to set anymore. So I was removed from set (laughs) of the movie based on my play that no one was allowed to know I existed and no one was allowed to read the play that I'd written before they worked on the movie. It was incredibly difficult. And then there was a big screening at a studio of the film and all these moments that were kind of emotional and nuanced and interesting on stage were just sort of plowed through on camera, if they even existed at all. I mean, very little of my original script was there, probably zero of it. But like the scenes were there and the characters were there, but the the writing was totally different. So when we had the big screening at a studio just not too far from here, it was on the Paramount lot. There's a bunch of people, you know, everyone's being introduced. There's like a red carpet and stuff. And I watched the movie and I, I mean, I went home and I just cried. It was just a bad movie. And look, I mean, I still am grateful for him being able to pull a team together. I mean, he, he got a great casting director and great people attached to it. Because on the one hand, of course, I want to be grateful that something's getting made. Like you never want to be that person. But on the other hand, it's like, what's the fucking point if like, <laughs> Your deep emotional connection to this thing is just kind of being stomped on. How do you have the emotional stamina to separate yourself from, you know, if you really believe that your best work comes from kind of a a deep emotional well of your own experiences and observations, then when you put it out into the world, um, it's very hard to watch people interpret it if they don't do it in a way that that you think works especially because it was a film and a play about four best friends in college that are, you know, white girls. And it's like, you can very easily mess that up. Stuff about women oftentimes is garbage. 
So you want to be able to work those comedic nuances, have those characters be interesting, have them have this emotional depth. And it was sort of like the script danced across the surface of that. I was again 25 maybe, so I may have handled things in a way that was immature. I look back at plenty of my behavior and I'm like, oh God, did I really say that or do that? But I also was like, I had my artistic integrity that I wanted to keep and I wanted to be proud of this and it was really hard. But now I have this film and as a lot of people advised me, you know, it doesn't really matter if it's good, it matters if it gets made. And I don't know if I really believe that, but that was certainly the the party line 15 years ago. Now I think there's more respect and interest in female directors and writers and female stories. It's really hard to separate your self-worth from work. And I think, you know, it, it's a survival skill. And I think some people are more equipped for it than others. And it's also a, a muscle. So the more you exercise it, the more you can kind of steel yourself against the world. I mean, it's hard being a creative person because by definition, you want to be sort of a sponge and available to people's emotions and experiences. And like, I always kind of feel like I'm watching situations to see if there's anything I can use. At the same time, when people's opinions about you sort of come at you, it can be, I mean, it can be debilitating. You know, they can be lovely and make you feel like you're on top of the world, or they can be brutal and make you feel like you should just give up. So that's kind of one aspect of it is you want to see if critics are taking in what you're trying to give. And then there's another side of it. You know, I spent years trying to get a literary manager. You know, again, as a playwright, there's like this weird allure to that. People like that. Managers kind of respond to that. Right now, it's kind of like hot to be a playwright. For a long time, everybody thought playwrights were just weirdos. I was sort of hip-pocketed by this manager who I was writing a pilot for. And he kept giving me all these notes and this is something that will happen. It's like you start working with a person and you kind of have a moment where you're like, oh, am I actually smarter than this person? Are they going to ruin my voice? But, you know, I wanted to give him everything he wanted because I wanted him to represent me. So I had this pilot idea and he gave me a bunch of notes. And then we got to a point where it was finished and he started pitching it around, which, you know, there's all these nebulous terms. I'm like, who is it going to? What are people saying? And he kind of came back to me and was like, you know, the, <laughs> the response I'm getting is that it's so bad that people can't finish it. And I just remember being on the phone with him and I just wanted to be like, I know it's bad, but I was doing what you asked me to do. I've submitted to tons of festivals. I've submitted for jobs. You know, you either don't hear back or you um, get a rejection. And I kind of feel like when I look back on my career thus far, if I really pay attention to like the pits, I would probably just like not even be able to move my body. <laughs> There's always this kind of palpable question of like, am I... Am I good enough? But it sort of goes away the more you produce. It's a bitter pill if it's like the last thing that happens. But if you just like get bad feedback and then you've got like three other things going on and you just go get back to work, you know, you can't empower it that much. I think it helps that I had 
parents that encouraged me. I, I also think that I've actually gotten so much positive feedback from my work for the most part that I know deep down that I'm that I'm onto something, that I have a very strong voice, that people respond well to things that I'm working on. Starting to see myself as like a real writer through other people's eyes was something I remember feeling really inspired by and encouraged by. I also think I have like a very strong bone for justice and and people's perspectives and nuance. And I'm I'm constantly like thinking about the gray areas of any situation. And being a writer is like, you have to be able to do that. And it's kind of cathartic. Even now, like we're in this political cesspool and we have, you know, these racial reckonings that are finally happening and we have, we're finally getting perspectives and, and work from people across the spectrum getting valued. And like a lot of that stuff, there's a lot of these kinds of social issues that are, that are coming up in the novel that I'm writing. And so I find myself always able to kind of work out whatever's going on with me in whatever I'm working on. And so in that way, it's like, you can't help but not keep going. I mean, my last play, Bonnie's Future Sisters, was about competition between two writers that are sisters. I was at a point when I was writing that, when I was feeling heavily unheard and heavily competitive with, with other women that I knew in my own life. And it was really hard for me to kind of deal with it and articulate it. So I, I wrote about it. And that was like cathartic for me. And now it's like subject matter that I don't really need to think about as much. Um, so that helps drive whatever the voice is, whatever the story is needs to get out really helps drive staying the course. But writing professionally and for hire is like a totally different beast. I mean, I ultimately have to fulfill whatever the person I'm working for wants, even if I disagree. And I can make my case for why this character should or shouldn't do this, or why this plot point doesn't make sense, or why I'm certain the script isn't done, even though they think, it, they think it is, you know. But at the end of the day, I'm collaborating, but really I'm, you know, I don't have as much power as, as the other person. So there's a certain amount of structural requirements that are there that I have to adhere to. And if I don't like it, then too bad. Even when you're doing something creative, almost especially when you're doing something creative, you're always answering to someone else's creative vision. And you have to learn to integrate that with your own creative voice in order to get the best outcome. Producer is such a, a, a big catch-all phrase and people imagine producers like running around and yelling at people. I would say that part of the job is pretty rote and and boring. Um, and it's not, I don't have the kind of job where I'm in conflict or on, in people's faces a lot. I watch a lot of cuts of episodes. I talk to, you know, higher up producers and post people about things. I make sure things are cleared. I make sure things are in the right location. It's uh, a lot of, a fair amount of grunt work, you know, a fair amount of organization one of my jobs in my job is to deal with the credits that roll at the end of every episode of the shows that I work on. So if I'm working on a show for Netflix, I have to go around to every single department and make sure, and sometimes we have crews in like the Czech Republic, right? And I have to get a list of actors and a list of crew and who's in what episode and then has to get approved by everybody on site and everybody there and everybody at the network and then this person's name is spelled wrong or this person needs to be before this person or this person's contract says they get their own card i mean that alone is like <laughs> it's so much organization and like brain stuff 
So I would say that like, there's a lot of kind of extra stuff that I feel like I do that I never thought I would do or would be good at doing and oftentimes wish I didn't have to do. But it's kind of par for the course for like making a living. And same with with writing. It's like, you're kind of always doing someone else's project. If you want to do your own project, you totally can and everyone always is. But if you need to make money, (laughs) you have to work for a production company or for another writer or producer or for someone who's got the resources to support you. The commodification part is hard because all you ever want is to get paid to write or you think that's all you want. What comes along with being paid to write is fulfilling someone else's expectations for what it is you are writing. So that makes it harder. I mean, here I am, I agreed to do about 20 new scenes for this script like three weeks ago. And I told the woman I work for (laughs) that I would have them to her at the end of the month. Well, it's March 21st and I haven't written a single word. Not because I haven't really known I needed to, but because I just, for whatever reason, I've been pushing it off. And I think a lot of it is because having worked for her for a long time, I know that like usually about half of what I write, she deletes or changes. So there's always this sense of like, is this something I'm writing that's going to disappear or is this something that's going to stay in the script? And that is like really hard for me to get jazzed about. Whereas I am for the first time in a long time writing something that I don't know where it's going to go. It's about as far from feeling like there's any sort of money or exchange happening as I can imagine. And as a result, it's very easy to work on. I'm 53,000 words into my novel. That feels easy to me because there's less at stake. So yes, I think having uh, money and a service involved in the work can make it feel more like work and less like fun, which is kind of a mind fuck because we think creativity is fun, but it's not always. Probably half of it is not super fun. I think you just have to stay jazzed about whatever you're working on, even if you're faking it, and also have something else you're working on that you're not. And this is not to say I'm not jazzed about this script that I'm writing. I just have been working on it off and on for three or four years, and you know, I just want this to be done. <laughs> Uh, I just want to move on to a new project. I'm just kind of tired of this one, but I'm going to give it my all and give her what she needs to get a script that she thinks she can sell and get that money, girl. The entertainment industry is really a microcosm of what's happening in the country, which is a combining of things in order to streamline profits and reduce workers, right? I mean... I would say that reality TV is kind of like Amazon in a way. You have less money for productions. You have many, many people vying for the same jobs. Things are not unionized. So of course, TV people make a lot more money than say an Amazon worker by far. So there's that. But there is, it's a real wild, wild west if you're not in a union, which most people that work in reality or documentary or unscripted are not unionized. So you have uh, a network and then you have a production company that's producing a show for that network and budgets are getting smaller and smaller. Shoot times are getting smaller and smaller. The demands of people's time in the field is longer and longer. Rates have stagnated. There's an enormous amount of concern around workers' uh, longevity 
in the business because you have more and more people that want to work in TV vying for small, less and less jobs. A lot of jobs have been eliminated. Crews are much more skeletal. People are expected to do more than their own job. And if you don't like it, then you, you can fuck off. You know, there's somebody else that will do it. I mean, I feel very lucky because again, I have a great boss. I'm kind of sheltered from a lot of this and I have a job that like so few people want that I probably have job security. But like as a writer, I mean, it's the same across the board. Like if you're not protected by a union, then you're really at the mercy of whoever you're working for. Out of here, Lola. There's more people vying for less available work seems to be the case. But, you know, people make, I don't know, people make a lot of fucking money doing this, even if they're freelance. I mean, people make easily $2,000, $3,000 a week, sometimes more. But like people have to buy their own health insurance a lot of times, you know, so there's just kind of a, there's been talk of unionizing reality TV for years, but nobody can really get it together because it's too fragmented. And that's, that's how companies want it, you know? <laughs> you can't organize when there's a million different companies and a million different networks. So I'm grateful for my position, but I also don't have any power, you know? Like I don't have any real bargaining power. The kind of person you need to be to do what I do is kind of right-brained and left-brained. I mean, you have to be able to access your creative side as well as your problem-solving, your collaborative, thinking on your feet to a degree and just kind of open-minded, but also sort of rigid in a way. I mean, there are certain aspects of my job that are very like A, then B, then C, then D, we're done. That's one side of it. The writing side, the creative side, the like kind of having the um, stamina for the business. I think you just have to be kind of um, filled with humor and, you know, motivated and, and genuinely interested in the world around you, uh, even when it lets you down. I do a lot of laughing in my life both whatever job I'm working on. And I'm also, you know, in a comedy band with my fiance. He works as an editor. So there's like a certain um, professionalism, but also kind of joy and silliness. And I think that you have to be able to access that part of you because there is a lot that is not promised. I think it requires a certain amount of flexibility and openness and liking what you're doing. I mean, I go through periods where I'm like, God, I, do I want to do any of this? Like, I'm, but that's when I know I'm burnt out. Like, I'm just tired. There's aspects of my life that are exactly how I imagined them. I always wanted to be a paid writer. I always wanted my work produced. I always wanted to be published. I always wanted people to come see my plays and to know me as that. I always wanted to like get my voice out there and not just have it stay in my head. And in that way, those things have happened. A lot of my kind of dreams have come true. It has also been in conjunction with a lot of things that I didn't expect to have to do or, or need to do or want to learn how to do or have any interest in. So there's been a certain amount of, I'm very clear that I want this and this is my path. And all these other things that have come into play that I kind of didn't even know would be interesting to know about 
And in that way, that sense of discovery, that sense of like not knowing where your life is going to lead and the kinds of skills you're going to acquire, in addition to the ones that you kind of pride yourself on, has been humbling and kind of lovely and just kind of makes me feel like a fuller, more interesting person that has more to offer the world. That's been kind of um, a surprise from living out here and doing the work that I do across so many mediums. So yeah, I'm grateful for that. Oh, girl, you know I'm, I'm made for the theater. <laughs> <laughs>